Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich! He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! Reviewing the Brew and Wisconsin Sports Heroics on Twitter. Trevor, my cheesehead loving buddy, is not joining me here today. He is the host of the Packers Trilogy podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He had a long weekend. As you know, it was great and nice outside. So he was kayaking and got some time out of the house and got home Sunday evening and realized, crap, I got a lot of schoolwork to do. So he is plugging away at that, and I am here to give us a recap on the Twins series. So it was a very exciting weekend of baseball, all things considered. Sunday obviously ended with a dud, but the first two games were absolutely spectacular and really made me grateful that baseball is back because you never know when you're going to get games like this. You have to enjoy them when they occur. So similar to how I did these recap pods last year, I'm going to do a brief little overview of each game of the series. I did run a poll at the end of last Brewer season and everyone liked the game recap, so they're staying, even though I am not a huge fan of them myself and I have to say them. We will still be keeping those around, so if you don't want to hear a game recap, I recommend skipping the next four or five minutes, but those of you that like it, here it is. We will start it off. We have game one. That was the Brewers' 6-5 to win on opening day. Again, one of the better opening days in recent memory, which is saying a lot because the Brewers have had a lot of thrilling opening day victories here in the recent memory, so in this particular game... Woodruff was making his second consecutive opening day start, and he was kind of decent overall. He only went four innings, gave up three earned runs, and struck out five batters. At times, he was working really fast, getting ahead of hitters, but at other times, he was just missing, or this potent Twins offense was falling off, laying off some really close pitches. I thought Woodruff's slider was an absolute thing of beauty on opening day. Three of of his five strikeouts came on that pitch, and unfortunately for him, it was his changeup where he really got into trouble. Seeing as how all three runs came or scored off of his changeup, the first one was that wild pitch in the third inning. That was a changeup that he spiked into the ground. Nervias probably should have been able to block it. I don't remember if that was ruled a wild pitch or a pass ball, but it went right off kind of the palm of the glove. And when Novaez went down to block it and unfortunately skidded too far away from him that a run was able to cross home plate. The second changeup was in that same at-bat with two outs. 
and Max Kepler hit a bloop single to score Miguel Sano. And the final changeup was courtesy of Luis Arise, who was a thorn in the Brewers' side this weekend. He had another two-out single off of Woodruff. And if you didn't catch that there, I mentioned the words two out twice. So a little bit of unluckiness for Woodruff in this start, seeing so all three of his earned runs came with two outs in an inning. Just couldn't close the door on those chances, unfortunately, and that's how he ends up getting tagged with three earned runs. Offensively, the Brewers worked Maeda, I thought, quite well, but they just didn't have results to show for it. They chased him out early in the fourth inning, His pitch count was up in the high 80s. They were displaying really great patience early on. But then as soon as the Twins switched to the bullpen, they retired 11 straight Brewers, which brought you right into the ninth inning. And that 12th batter, which snapped the 11 straight up, 11 straight down streak was Colton Wong, and he got hit by a pitch in the hand. So that's how the Brewers get a runner on in the ninth. They're down by three runs at this point, and they get... Really lucky, Kesson Hira hits a little dribbler back to the pitcher and ends up reaching on a fielder's choice air. The pitcher from the Twins threw it over to second base. There was a little bit of a bobble there, or a little bit of a high throw, and everybody is safe. From there, Christian Yelich and Travis Shaw delivered clutch hits to send the game into extra innings. Once we get into extra innings, Josh Hader is on in the top of the 10th, mows him down one, two, three. And then Orlando Arcia hits an infield chopper to score Lorenzo Cain from third base, and that is how the Brewers walked it off on opening day. Game two was a 2-0 loss in perhaps one of the best pitchers duel of all time, and I have no exaggeration when I say that, for this was the first game in the modern era ever in which both pitchers allowed no more than one hit and struck up 10-plus batters in an outing. They had dual no-hitters going into the seventh inning, which unfortunately is when Corbin Burns gave up the first hit of the game, and it was a home run from Byron Buxton that broke it up. On the other side, Jose Barrios struck out 12 Brewers, and actually after Buxton hit that home run, he was yanked out of the game. He was pinch hit for, I guess is a better way to phrase it, even though he was throwing a no-hitter. That was the end of it once they secured the lead there, the Twins that is. But Burns was, up until that seventh inning, was just insane. He finished with 11 strikeouts, didn't walk a single batter. His stuff was dancing just all over the place. 87 pitches he was he ended up throwing. He was super efficient. His cutters, it was going backdoor, it was cutting in on the hands. Wherever he wanted to place these pitches, he was placing it. That was by far one of the best pitching performances I have ever seen. I wish he would not have gave up that home run to Buxton, which was a good pitch. I believe it was it was a cutter or a slider, one of the two, down and away from him. And Buxton just got the barrel on it and delivered it out to right center field, unfortunately. One of the rare instances somebody actually made contact in that game, or really all series for that matter. Anyway, after Corbin Burns came out of the game, Brett Suter was brought in relief. In the eighth inning, Suter retired the first two batters and then ended up giving up three straight singles, and that's what gave the Twins their second run of the game. The Brewers' only threat of the game offensively came in the 8th inning, which is when they finally broke up the no-hitter that the Twins were showing. 
or throwing. Lorenzo Cain actually drew a walk to begin that inning. Then Omar Narvaez singled. So you had runners on the corners, one out. And then Craig Council called upon pinch hitters Dan Vogelbach and Billy McKinney, but both were unable to deliver as Vogelbach struck out and McKinney flied out. And that was the only threat the Brewers made all game. And then game three was a big dud 8-2 loss. Adrian Hauser was on the mound, and he actually did not do too bad. He pitched through the lineup twice, went five innings, four hits allowed, two walks, two earned runs he was tagged with. After Hauser, though, things went very, very south. Drew Rasmussen and the Brewers, really in general, had perhaps the worst inning of the year (laughs) in the sixth inning. It, It went as followed. It started with a leadoff walk. Then there was an error. There was a grounder hit right at Kesson Hira, and he tried to throw it to second to initiate a double play. He threw it high. It pulled Urias off the bag. Everybody was safe. From there, there was a pass ball. Now you got runners on second and third. Nobody out. Of course, the Twins hit a two-run single after that. Then Rasmussen finally gets a strikeout, but the runner steals second base, and then Snow hits a two-run bomb. So dreadful inning there for Rasmussen. Not all his fault, but partially his fault as well. He did not look the sharpest, unfortunately, in his debut of the season. At that point, it was 6-1. to Brewer fans were just really frustrated with the lack of offense, so everyone is making a big deal of that. Keston Hira ended up getting trucked at first base. There was a pretty major collision as he was trying to lay out to feel the ball or to catch a ball from Colton Wong and unfortunately was in the base path and Garvey just full out laid right out laid out right into him both the guys were able to get up under their own power and stayed in the game so that was very good after Rasmussen it was Josh Lindblom who just struggled as well he ended up loading the bases in the seventh inning but got out of it unscathed somehow then the Craig Council stuck with him. He ended up giving up two runs in the eighth inning, and that was really just the cherry on top for the Twins in what was a very bad game for the Brewers as they dropped two out of three in the opening series here this week. So that was our opening series here. So I'm going to move into our series MVP and series dud. So we're going to start positive here. I think my series MVP has to go to Corbin Burns. I already mentioned all of his stats and every reason why you should be excited for him. 6.1 innings pitched. The only hit he gave up was unfortunately a home run, which is a well-located pitch, I thought. Struck out 11. Really impressed with what we saw out of Corbin Burns. We obviously all were excited for him this season, but to see his first start, him come out and deliver like this, just makes it even more amped up to see what he can do this season. I think we might be watching something special here unfold here with Corbin Burns because he should be able to keep the Brewers in just about every game when he is pitching. Honorable mention-wise for me, Josh Hader gets the nod in his one inning of work. He struck out the side, the radar gun at, American Family Field said 100 miles per hour. StatCast Online was saying like 99.6 or 99.8, whatever. You round up, it's 100. We haven't seen that out of Josh Hader, like ever. He's always 95, 97. That's, that's high enough velocity, but 
whether it was the crowd, an actual crowd being there, he was able to reach back and find an extra gear on opening day when he pitched. And that's really scary to think about because last year he opened up with his velocity was really low. It was like 95, 93. And then towards the end of the year, it kind of built up. This year he's coming out, boom, 100 miles right off the bat. So good stuff there out of Josh Hader. And then my last honorable mention is going to go to Travis Shaw. He finished the series two of seven, had a walk, one double, which was that one in the ninth inning on opening day, finished with three RBIs in the series, only had two strikeouts. His third RBI, which was really the first RBI of the season, was a bases loaded walk. So that was really cool to see. He did not play, or he pinch hit in the finale on Sunday, did not get the start. So he started the first two games and then sat the last game. But reaching base three times, I, I'll take that. He hit fifth, I believe, in the lineup on opening day. And then on Saturday, he hit second. I think that's good because you can really move him kind of about wherever you want. He's still a power threat at this point in his career. He's making good contact. He's making good contact all of spring, not striking out a ton. So I, I like that we use him in this upper half of the lineup. It's a good confidence boost for him. He had a hell of a great day back with the Brewers on his first day of work, we're going to call it, on opening day. So he definitely has some momentum on his side, and keep him up in the lineup. See what he can do. He's going to continue to get a lot of opportunities here early on, and I think that he could be huge for the Brewers this season. And then I'm going to switch over to the duds here. My biggest series dud is going to go to someone who was hitless in this series. O of 11, six strikeouts. That is Keston Hira. I already mentioned the air and the collision defensively. But there is some concern here. And Brewers Twitter on Sunday, Easter Sunday of all days, was just as concerned, really, about Keston Hira because last year had very high strikeouts. Still has power, yes, but very high strikeout totals. This series looked, for lack of a better word, the same. <laughs> Obviously, he was able to collect some hits last year. He's not going to go hitless every series. But I, I can get understand why my fans are a little frustrated with that right out of the gate here. I think we are, as fans, we are more so worried that, like, what if Kesson Hira doesn't pan out? Because at this point in his career, we have to kind of view him as a streaky hitter who has plenty of pop in his bat, but also strikes out a lot. That's what we know of Kesson Hira at this point as a major league hitter. In the minors, hell yeah, he hit for great average. His first year up in 2019, he was damn near a 300 hitter. And his BIP was, what, 400 at one point, which is obviously not sustainable. All those are regressing to a mean that we do not know what that is yet. And I've, I've spoke a lot about this on Kesson Hira in the past, especially after last season ended. And this year is going to be a big year for him. We need to know what Kesson Hira looks like throughout a 162-game season. Because we don't know what that is yet. We do not know. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how everything pans out as this season goes along. We know there's going to be bumps in the road defensively with him playing first base here, but offensively there's going to be bumps in the road as well. So we all view him as this big kind of hitting god, right? Like that's what he did in the minors. That's what he's knowing known for. He had a 70-grade hitting tool 
uh, coming up as a prospect. And we just expect him to hit, hit, hit. But unfortunately, that is not how the game of baseball works. So we will say be patient with him. He is my dud for this series, and I think he deserves it. <laughs> Over 11, six strikeouts. I'll repeat those again. Not good. But he's going to do some things that are going to wow you this year, and hopefully he does more wows than, oh, gosh. So we'll see here what happens with Kesson, hoping he can bounce back in our next series. Honorable mentions for duds. I'm going to put Josh Lindblom in there. He pitched three innings this series, all out of the bullpen, walked three batters, gave up four hits, only tagged with two earned runs. But what I saw out of Josh Lindblom was out of the bullpen this series was what I saw out of him as a starter last year. He likes to get himself into weird situations. He likes to put pace runners on. Sometimes he gets out of it and you're like, oh yeah, nice job, way to get out of the jam. And other times he doesn't. And that's how you end up getting tagged with runs. You just put yourself in bad situations. And that's what I saw out of Josh Lindblom this weekend here. He may or may not end up going back in the starting rotation. Who, who really knows? But I think, honestly, if he continues to struggle out of the bullpen, can you justify putting him in the starting rotation? I don't think so. I mean, Freddie Peralta also pitched this weekend as well. He pitched on opening day, came in in relief after Brandon Woodruff went two innings and had just an absolutely kind of bizarre stat line. He walked three batters, but he struck out six. He recorded six outs total, so he struck out every out he got came via the strikeout, but his command was a little bit off. Three walks, like I mentioned, gave up two hits. was not very efficient whatsoever. So Peralta, Lindblom, if they're not going to be efficient, that's obviously a concern in a starting rotation. Uh, Whether or not or when they do actually end up making the first start, we do not know yet, given all the weirdness and how these off days line up here early on in the season. Um, But I did want to mention that Lindblom was not all that impressive this weekend. And if he continues not to impress, can you justify putting him in the starting rotation? That is something Craig Council will have to figure out. And my last dud here is going to go to Dan Vogelbach. Did not start any of the games, but he did appear as a pinch hitter three times. And as promised, Craig Council put him in situations where he wanted him to produce. It was a key big at bat where maybe runners were on. It was later in the game. You're going up against some of the team's better bullpen arms. And Vogelbach did not deliver. Hitless over three, one strikeout. And this is his role right now. As I mentioned on my season preview, he needs to impress on a few of these situations if he wants to continue to be on this ball club, because that is his role. You are a pinch hitter who's going to come into games at key spots. You got to deliver some hits. Obviously, yes, I know it's one series, but it will be one thing to keep an eye on as we move forward here, because he's probably going to get in at bat each game, and it's going to come late in the game. And how he keeps doing here, you know, give it a month to assess how he does. He could be off the team if he's not delivering within this first month of April here. So not a good weekend for him either. Honorable mention, dud. That is all I really had from that standpoint. I did think it was worth noting that we did not see Devin Williams this weekend. Really wasn't a good time to use him on opening day. We were down until the ninth inning by, what, three runs? So why would you put Devin Williams in the bolt in relief at that point when you're down by that many runs? 
maybe you could have justified putting him in on Saturday's game. It was a big pitcher's duel. But when, you know, when after Brett Suter gave up that second run in the eighth inning, you're going into the ninth inning. Do you really need to put Devin Williams in in a game where you're losing by two runs and you might need him the next day? No, probably not. And then obviously Sunday, no reason to put him in a dud of a game like that. So we're still waiting for the former rookie of the year to make his season debut, but should be well rested because we got the Cubs coming up next. So that is going to be very fun. Monday's game will actually be on ESPN. That is a 640 first pitch. So for those of you who still have YouTube TV and do not get Bali Sports as it's called now, you can watch it on ESPN that day because I know there are people out there who still have not made a switch to watch Brewers baseball, which just baffles me. Like YouTube TV is not going to get the network back. It it's clear it's not happening, so you have to adapt, guys. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but that is Monday's game, 640. Likely starters, Brett Anderson will make his debut, and from what I saw on the ESPN app, it will be Trevor Williams for the Cubs. And then Tuesday is a 640 game as well. Wednesday is a 120 game. I know nothing about who's going to start any of those games because we could see possibly Brandon Woodruff come in on Tuesday. That would give him five days of rest. So we'll see. I don't know what Craig Council is going to look to do. I think that makes sense to me, and that would mean Corbin Burns would pitch Wednesday. But Craig Council's obviously not played his hand yet. He has not released any of that information. Probably won't until Tuesday morning because that's Craig Council's style, and he likes to keep that information hidden as best as possible. So that is what's coming up here next. The Cubs... Took two out of three versus the Pirates this weekend, so they're coming in two and one. Chris Bryant for the Cubs had a good opening series, had nine at-bats, three hits, three walks, a homer, and two RBIs. So good start for them. Obviously, as a Cubs fan, you want Chris Bryant to, to keep doing well. As a Brewers fan, we do not. Um, otherwise, Zach Davies was on the mound today, Sunday, so we will not see him, at least in this first series against the Cubs. But the schedule lines up kind of interesting because we have the Cubs here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we have a three-game set with the Cardinals after that. And then thinking back April 12th already, it's the Cubs again, which will be in American Family Field. So lots of games early on coming up here against the rival Cubs. Big meanings, as they do all the time. I love this rivalry, so definitely looking forward to these games. Hopefully the Brewers can string together some good performances here and put us fans back on track with appropriate feelings, I think, about the ball club because Sunday was no fun and definitely a bummer to the weekend after we witnessed two just absolutely fascinating games on opening day and then Saturday. So be glad baseball is back. Be glad I'll be here doing series recaps all season long. Make sure you're checking out Wisconsin Sports Heroics. There are lots of good contributors there. They're doing game previews, game recaps for all 162 games. So make sure you check them out at Reviewing the Brew. will be right in there as well. And yeah, give, give everyone some love. Make sure you're following all of our contributors and sharing our podcasts and, and spreading the word. It's baseball season. Let's keep talking baseball all summer long. So until I am recapping the Cubs series, that podcast will be coming out on Thursday the 8th. I will talk to you later, Brewer fans.